Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. I wanted to start this episode with an announcement. Starting on May 26th, which is a Sunday, I would imagine it's two, three weeks from the time that this, this show goes live. Uh, we're starting a group therapy slash class in my private practice. It's called Reshaping Body Image. And the focus of the class would be helping people to participate to cultivate a more positive relationship with their bodies. We're going to talk about the skills and strategies you can implement if you're struggling with this issue. If you're living in L.A., I don't think there's any excuse for you not to show up because it's on Sunday and it's very affordable. It's eight session and it's $40 per session. You can give me a call or you can email me to reserve your spot. My number is 310-600-9912. Today, we're going to talk about the topic that's very dear to my heart. We're going to talk about how you can access your sexual desire. This is an issue that I see a lot in my practice, specifically when it comes to women. I was looking at the studies that was done in this area, and I found this study that was done in 2005 by Global Study of Sexual Attitude and Behaviors, and they found that that women experience low desire in range of 26 to 43%, which is mind-blowing to me. Like almost half of the population, it seems like based on the study, struggles with low desire. And I see these women in my practice, they feel they're broken, they feel there's something wrong with them, but it's so heartbreaking because the issue is not related to them specifically. It's how to access our sexual desire and how to practice the muscle of getting access to our sexual desire and arousal as women. Because as we're going to talk about with Gina in this episode, there is a difference between men and women and how we can access that uh, sexual desire and feel aroused. My guest today is Gina Gutierrez. She's a co-founder and CEO of DeepSea, which is an app which was launched about a year ago and has already been featured by Elle, Marie Claire, Vox, and many other publications and raised $5.5 million in funding. And I invited the co-founder on this show. She has a psychology degree from Duke, and this is a topic that she's very passionate about. Anyhow, without further ado, here's my conversation with Gina Gutierrez. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm very excited to welcome Gina Gutierrez on our show. Gina, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited for this conversation because helping women with working through kind of the removing the barriers around their sexual desire and getting kind of tapping into their sexual energy and this kind of sexual desire that many of us are learned to kind of suppress is something that we feel very passionate about. And I know that's a topic that you often focus on. So let's start by talking about the differences between men and women. What 
did you notice and what did you find in the research that there are as far as the differences between men and women when it comes to desire and arousal? So I think a couple of things come into play. And from the perspective of someone who is now a maker of content, a lot of what I was seeing when I was doing research about the differences between how male and female sexual desire develops is that men are much more stimulated by visual stimuli. They are essentially super sensitive to visual cues, especially very graphic visual cues, and it's so indicated by how men search the internet. So there's this really fantastic book called A Billion Wicked Thoughts, uh, where two researchers used AOL search data that was released back in maybe 2008 to kind of say, okay, what people self-report around their sexuality is probably less reliable than what they actually search on the internet. And what they found was that so many of the male inputs were much more graphically explicit around body parts. They like were really thoughtful around like what they wanted to see. They wanted to see breasts, they wanted to see legs, they wanted to see a certain type of sex. And for women, it's quite different. And that's, you know, seen by the millennia of erotica behind us. There is visual pornography, which works for some women, but for, when, for many women is very challenging because it puts right in front of them what, what it is. There's not a lot of room for the imagination. You're looking at a certain, you know, room that maybe isn't as sexy or as, you know, elevated or as like comfortable as you'd want it to be. And you're hearing the, you're, you're hearing and seeing people that you maybe don't relate to and maybe don't see your own body in. And that's really challenging for a lot of people alongside, of course, a lot of ethical complications around like, is this pleasure authentic? And like, are these people here because they want to be there? So I think it's really interesting to think about from the perspective of how people look for and what kind of erotica they consume to kind of identify some differences between the sexes. And of course, there's a long legacy of romance novels behind us, which is historically considered more of a women's genre of erotica. It's wildly popular. It drives the publishing industry. And while um, the demographic tends to skew older, I think it shows a lot of interesting things around what women desire, which is more narrative stimulation. What is the story? How is how are the characters engaging with one another? What is the chemistry? How desired is the woman? And so I think viewing it that way is, is very, very interesting. And then, of course, there's kind of the more biological element, which is that there are key differences that some clinical sexual psychologists are trying to talk about today and open up in a way that I'm so grateful for this, you know, new framework of responsive versus spontaneous desire is something that Dr. Emily Nagoski speaks to a lot and something we talk about a lot at Dipsy, which is the idea that just because as a woman, you don't necessarily feel horny on the spot or desire sex out of the blue doesn't mean that you're not a sexual person. It just means that you require more context, maybe more time, maybe more input to get yourself to the place where you feel desire, where men, and of course, not all men, might have an easier time just getting there without that kind of preamble, without that, you know, foreplay. You know, you kind of see how it all comes down to how there's this, you know, this consistent cultural story that women like foreplay more than men. And there's a reason for that. This is fascinating. And it's funny because it reminded me of a conversation, I guess ironic, that I had with my husband a few months ago. And we're very open about what we find arousing and what's what we find desirable. And I was telling him, you know, I have such a hard time watching porn because the plots are weak. Right. <laughs> he was telling me, honey, who listen, who looks at the plot? I fast forward. <laughs> and that's generous that the plots are weak. The plots are the plots are barely there. 
<laughs> right. And I think the other thing that you mentioned that like, at least I can talk about my experience that I want something that I can resonate with. Like when I watch porn, like for me, it's like when I see someone with very different body, very different presentation, very different context that might not resonate with me. I cannot experience arousal as much. And I think the other thing that you mentioned, this ethical component of it, because I'm a psychologist, I work with some sex worker, not all sex workers are abused, but like thinking about how kind of like this narrative in my head, like thinking if, if this has been kind of like they were well paid, is this something yeah. they want to do? Is this something they feel passionate about? That can get also in the way of desire. Right. And I think that's so interesting because so many women can relate to that experience. It's not even necessarily that they don't aren't excited by the idea of porn or aren't seeking it out, but when they actually get to it and they're faced with these bodies that maybe they don't relate to and they're faced with the reality of two sex workers engaging with one another and then all these questions come flooding in and it speaks to the profound psychology of sexuality, right? Like that your brain is so active in these moments and you're like, I can't really get aroused right now. My brain is too active. I'm like, are these people happy? Where are they? Are they in Miami? Like, are they, (laughs) did they meet each other before? Did they have a coffee before they engaged in this sex act? You know, like your brain is buzzing with all these questions of like, how is this coming to life? And I think that that's really distracting and also like the ultimate proof of the fact that we rely on our brains to have pleasurable experiences. Right. And I think uh, what an interesting context, get that, like the, the, the content research that you did, I think I want to understand that better. So I would imagine before you launched a, a kind of product, you mentioned that you did some online searches and kind of looking into what people are searching. What was some of the things that you found that people were searching when it comes to sex and sexuality? Well, it's really interesting because the number one trending search term in 2017 when I was doing all this research on Pornhub was porn for women. And what I found very interesting about that was that even though only one in four of the people that go on Pornhub is a woman, it was the number one trending search term. So presumably a small amount of people um, or a small percentage of those people were accounting for the largest volume of search entry. And why is that? I think you can look at that in two ways. You can look at that and saying like, wow, like women's interest in porn is, is growing and there's a lot of people there that are seeking things. The other way that you can look at it is what men are going to Pornhub.com and typing in porn for men. Men. Right. Because it's all porn for men, right? There's this idea that porn is designed to appeal to what men need to or want to be seeing. And so women are seeking other options and they're saying like, where is it for me and does it differ for me? And so we saw that search data and we were like, wow, that's amazing. That speaks to two things that are really exciting for us. There is curiosity, there is interest, and there are people that are not really sure they're finding what works for them. Also, when it comes to female, quote-unquote, female-friendly porn, what I found that the diversity within that content is so limited. It just plays into kind of romantic blueprint that women's supposed to have. So it doesn't have, like, doesn't include all sorts of things that women might find pleasurable. Yeah, and you find a lot more lesbian sex in that category as well. And I think that that speaks to kind of interesting trends in a greater cultural way. Um, I listened to the episode that you that you did with Dr. Emily Nagoski recently, and you talked about how the kind of pleasure gap is lower with lesbian partners than it is with heterosexual partners. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's so interesting in this way that there's this assumption that a woman pleasing a woman is going to be more pleasurable than a man pleasing a woman, at least in a porn in a porn world. And in so many ways, that is true. But like, why is that? And why can't more porn elevate itself so that the pleasure of the woman is really more front and center, regardless of the kind of dynamics between the two characters? 
I think, yes, that's such a fantastic point. And I, I haven't done enough research because I'm a, I identify as a cisgender heterosexual woman that what's out there for women that are interested in watching a lesbian porn. And I know it doesn't mean like you have to be lesbian to watch, enjoy lesbian porn. But I think like, because that's something I haven't researched as much, I don't know, but I would imagine that in the data is at least the women-friendly porn that I researched on, it was like very limited. So I'm, I'm excited to hear that that's something that you guys kind of thought about when you were developing your product. But I wanted to understand the brain part. So I often talk about, when I talk about desire with my client, I say like brain is the biggest sex organ. Like that's everything happens in your brain. Yep. And when it comes to women, why do you think psychology of the brain is overlooked? I think psychology of the brain is overlooked for everyone, is what I should say first, not just for women. I think it's particularly crucial and critical to think about it in a female context because female sexuality has been underserved for so much longer and, and underviewed for so much longer. But I think the brain is important for everyone when it comes to sex. But back to this you know, earlier point of how it's more gendered, sexuality has been defined by the male experience for so long. I mean, I don't love to like ring the patriarchy bell, but the patriarchy is everywhere in this way, right? It's like, what what is pleasurable for a man? And then how does a woman adhere to that? How does sex work? How does arousal happen? It happens spontaneously. It happens out of the blue. It's this, you know, rom-com version of like, I look at you, I see you, and I want to rip your clothes off. And it's creating this idea of what sex should be that's very intimidating for people because they don't necessarily see themselves reflected in those ways. And it creates a lot of shame. Like, am I sexual enough? Am I too complicated in my demands and my desires? Am I boring my partner? Am I, am I underserving my partner? And it, it creates all this anxiety around sex that I think is really acute for women. So I don't know. I think for someone like you, how interesting I would imagine for all your, for all the clients that you work with, they're not necessarily asking you like what sort of genital stimulation would work better for them. They're asking you, how can I, you know, move past trauma or focus on pleasure in the moment or like enhance connection with my partners. Is that right? Like what are, what are people coming to? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think like one of the, like one of the most common presentation is kind of mismatched libido in in the heterosexual couples that I see and also uh, low desire, inhibited desire in women, which is very, very common as you were talking about. And so what we're trying to do at Dipsy is really try and take a different perspective, which is to say, what if it's not a question of you, the woman in your heterosexual partnership, having less desire and the man having more desire, but rather that the way that you've been acting together and the way that the world has created normalcy around you is that like his, his behavior and his experience is more normal and yours is not normal. And so how do we then make things more normal for you and how do we create better tools and experiences so that a woman can say like, I know what to do to get myself to the place where I can experience pleasure because ultimately that's what both people want together. And so one of the things that we think is so interesting is in this research that we did is encountering this idea that's so aligned with our intuition, which is that 90% of women use mental framing to become aroused, essentially that they are using their brains to you know, conjure up scenarios that they find really sexy or arousing. So that's really exciting. A lot of women are doing that. But is that a muscle that we've really been exercising? Is fantasy something that we're really like practiced at? No, I think for many people not. If you ask people who have issues coming to climax or, um, you know, I can recount the friends, that, the friends I used to talk to in college about like, I'd never had an orgasm. What should I do? And I was often the friend that people would ask about that. And I'd ask, well, what are you thinking about? 
when you're, you know, engaging in self-pleasure or like with a partner? What are you thinking about? Because if your brain is often the test that you took this morning or whether he likes your body or whether, you know, the party tonight is going to be like everything you hope and you like your outfit, like you're not going to be engaged in the pleasure of the moment. And what you can do on top of focusing on the person right in front of you or like the feeling that you're feeling is think about things that you think are sexy. Like that's like leveling up. And so how do we create better opportunities to inspire people? How do we um, make fantasies even more interesting and compelling and erotic than what maybe naturally comes to you and like broaden your set of what's exciting and help you realize that you might be sexually excited by more than you even realize. And, and that's the, the beauty of what Dipsy is creating this, this product that helps you kind of tap into fantasy and you know, be transported into a realm where you can really explore desire in a, in a different and a maybe more accessible way. And I think that was a, when you mentioned that, am I too complicated kind of belief that some women have that really resonated with it with me, because I think this is such a common struggle because many people got their sexual sex education from porn, like a male kind of focused pornography and either from the romantic comedies that they watched and the uh, script is kind of very similar in all of those things that like the spontaneous, like people experiencing a spontaneous arousal and desire. And there's almost none, no foreplay or minimal. And then they kind of like, they start the penetration or whatever act they're doing and people are climaxing. And I feel women who are not able to kind of access that spontaneous kind of arousal, they find like they, they come into me and say, oh, I'm broken. There's something wrong with me, right. which it's so heartbreaking because mm-hmm. the frame that they, they were taught, the, the script that they were sold is inaccurate and there's nothing wrong with them. And I think that while it's true in some ways that female sexuality is more complex maybe than male sexuality, there's also this thing that has happened where just because it's complicated, it's almost like this, you know, we've all thrown our hands up in the air and it's complicated and maybe we can't figure it out or maybe it's not even worth trying to figure it out. And I think that we need to start moving away from the idea that it's complicated and say like, that's true. (laughs) And now how do we start addressing it? And how do we start finding other ways? Because if 51% of the population, you know, current population of split male, male, female, if 51% of the population are feeling low desire, that's not something that they need some magical pill for to cure. That means that culture hasn't been doing a good enough job helping those people access that part of themselves. Right. And I think that it's important to distinguish there is a difference between physiological arousal and psychological arousal for women. And the fact that they, at, at times, female find, like they, when they're doing studies in lab, that they, they experience physiological arousal they might not psychologically feel aroused. And I think that psychological arousal is something that's really missing in many of my clients' uh, sexual well-being. I'm really happy that you brought that up. You asked me earlier about some of the differences between the genders, between the sexes. And I think, you know, this idea of physical and psychological experience being more non-concordant in women is something that's very important to think about because it starts to break down some of these myths almost like, oh, if, if the woman is wet, then she's really aroused. Actually, not necessarily. That could be the, that could be correlated. It might not be. And I think that that's really important in some of the more dark implications of, you know, how we think about sex in our society because there's a lot of people that 
have heard as as defense in a courtroom that like a woman was aroused and therefore she it wasn't a rape she actually she actually was there on her own will and the proof was that her body was excited for sex but like maybe not at all that's like the darkest implication of like this mm-hmm. dis- discordance or this non-concordance but it's very important that we start moving away from the idea that that's the proof of what a woman wants because what she wants is what she says she wants and what she thinks she wants Exactly. And again, just so challenging for people to kind of understand that, as you said, like the psychological arousal and physiological arousal might not match. And in many cases, as you said, with sexual assault cases, that there is a certainly a mismatch. So I guess I wanted to kind of like pivot to the topic of what we can do to increase sexual desire. So what what we know is, I know Dr. Emily Nagoski was talking about it in her episode that we talked about, and I can put it on the show notes for people to review it. Also, she talks about dual model of uh, response, talking about we all have accelerator and brakes. And like people are talking about breaks, like breaks could be anxiety, depression, you're tired, kids are crying, all of those things could be break. Breaks that can get in the way of people experiencing desire and arousal. And also, I wanted to kind of explore more about the accelerators, things that are, can, can trigger women's sexual desire. What are some of the things that you found that are helpful when it comes to that topic? Yeah. So I think the dual model is so exciting to think about because it helps to put real language around what's going on. And I think um, from an accelerator perspective, a really interesting one is this idea of like profound desire in the partner in front of you, regardless of whether you're queer or whether you're straight. If the partner in front of you is saying, I desire you, I want you so much, you are everything to me in this moment, that is highly erotic for most women. I think that's really interesting when you read the work of Esther Perel as well. She has this amazing quote where she talks about if a woman is not feeling sexual with herself, she will basically not respond to the advances of a partner. It's actually around how she feels. But if the partner is telling her, you are so desirable, that's really where it gets exciting. So it's actually like really almost, it's almost deliciously narcissistic. It's like about how how much I'm wanted. And you see that that story come across in romance novels and you see that story come across in movies. But um, it's really interesting how that even becomes acted on in something like a Dipsy story, which is where we're very vocal with the sounds of pleasure between partners. It's very erotic. And what's really exciting when you think about kind of embodying a female character in an audio story, feeling like you become that character and hearing the partner experience pleasure, it's pleasure because of me. It's pleasure because of my actions, pleasure because of my body. And that's very sensual. Um, and that's something that's really easy for partners to bring to the table too. Like when you're engaging in oral sex, if the woman is the giver, can you say, you know, like, wow, this feels so good. You're making me feel so good. That actually makes the giving experience highly erotic for the giver, right? Like not just the person receiving that pleasure. That's really cool and really interesting. So I think the idea of making desire very apparent and vocal and communicative is a huge accelerator for a lot of women. And one one thing I think that you mentioned earlier, I, I really liked was kind of like practicing the mus- this muscle because I, I at times when people coming in to my office and talking about, you know, I have low desire, I don't experience any sexual desire, even when I'm kind of like masturbating and like want to masturbate. And it's, it's interesting when I ask them, okay, then how do you plant seed for kind of like this tree of desire like what do you do and most people it's like very minimum 
that they do. Like I know back in the days, the kind of erotica was popular, but again, many of my younger clients, they cannot even connect to that. That's not part of the culture that they grew up in. And that's then, then therefore they don't know where to go. Exactly. There's this crazy gap. I mean, you ask women to recommend a vibrator to you, you know, like you ask someone under 35, right? Do you have a vibrator recommendation? And they're like, Oh my God, of course. Or they're like, Oh, I don't, but my friend Sarah will definitely, here's her number, right? Like there are answers. And that's amazing. Like that is real progress. Then you ask people like, what's your reliable source to find like sexy content or like, where do you go on the internet? And people are like, Oh, I found this one site. They haven't updated it since 2012. Or like, I don't know, I look around and I stopped searching. Cause it's just like, I was finding all the stuff I didn't want to see or hear or read. And okay, so there's like a lot out there, but it's kind of a crisis of quality. And so we need better, more high quality options, especially because context is so important for women. It's like, are all the details right? Is everything accounted for? And if so, a lot of those breaks, right, that you talked about in dual response are eliminated. And that creates this really highly erotic context that allows you to tap into desire and like start to feel the bubbling up of arousal that you might not if all those details weren't being accounted for. Yeah. Um, And I think what I love about erotic and I still read erotic up, I feel like I could use my imagination and the characters can look exactly want them to look. And the context is I have control over the context, which is missing from many of the visual kind of pornography that we're watching. Absolutely. Imagination is so huge. If we were to ask 10 different people who had all listened to the same Dipsy story to draw the characters, I'm sure we would receive 10 very different looking pieces of paper. We should actually do that. That'd be really cool because I think it's, it's so personal, right? Like what we are turned on by is so personal. And so to create some sort of framework that then people can put their own ideas on is so compelling and why I think audio is this really, really amazing territory for the future of erotica for women. And it's just allows us to think about all these things. Like how do we balance safety and privacy in this room? Like, okay, we're this beach scene and let's, I'm just making this up. This isn't actually true, but like, I'm going to walk you through the content creation process. It's like, okay, we're going to have these two characters in the beach. They maybe like pull the blanket over each other. So it's like semi-private and they can like maybe start touching each other under the blanket. If we were to sound design that as if there's like children running around and it's an active beach scene, that's triggering like, ah, (laughs) this is like, (laughs) The breaks. <laughs> this is not like a, yeah, the, the breaks are on. But if it's like soothing sounds and you maybe hear like one sound off in the distance because it's realistic, that's different. Then it's like, we may get caught. We probably won't. We're balancing all these things and we can create these kind of idealized worlds. It's not to say that one world works for every person, but we can really think about all those breaks and accelerators and how they all come to play in any moment. And it's such an interesting creation that you guys have with this app. And I'm very, very interested about how do you guys create the content? Because I used to write erotic and I love it and I love reading about it. I think it's important muscles to practice. So how do you decide what, what are some of the contents that you need to create? Well, first of all, if you ever want to write for us, you should definitely do that. That'd be really fun. But we work with a lot of different people. And one of the reasons why, so we essentially are a creative hub and we work with a big network of freelance writers and a big network of freelance voice actors to create the stories that we make. And partly why we lean on so many people 
outside of our in-house team is because it allows us to tap into diverse perspectives and ideas and experiences that people can write to authentically that we wouldn't be able to if we only had two writers on the job writing those things, right? So if we have a story about a trans experience, we want a trans writer writing that. If someone has a particular fantasy about this one thing, they are going to be much more adept at giving that fantasy what it deserves. And then what we can do is really make sure that it's edited for audio and make sure that all the boxes are ticked. Like, is this innately a feminist story and that the woman's pleasure is coming first. She is feeling respected and catered to. She is communicative and the kind of a realistic balance of self-confident and vulnerable. Is consent really enthusiastic and clear? Is safe sex accounted for and how is that done? Does this work in an audio context, right? Like so writing for audio is quite different from writing for the, for the page. And that's a lot of the heavy lifting that we do from the editing side, but really taking these original nuggets from other people. And then voice actors allows us to represent diversity, something that we are trying to do very actively. Like let's if we cast diverse people, we imbue these characters with realness, right? The richness and realness of real life. And that's really exciting and important for us to do as well. And I think it's interesting that you, you guys have this diverse writers, and I think that's fantastic because, you know, we all, we don't necessarily have all sorts of experiences. Most people can write about things that they find exciting the best. So what are some of the themes that you find that, is it based on that? I haven't like, for our listeners, I haven't looked inside the app, but is it people can search based on the themes or what are some of the search criteria? So we have a bunch of different categories and some of them are more categorical. So like something like queer stories or quickies, which are stories under 10 minutes if you only have a certain amount of time. There are also stories that are more mood-based. So, you know, rainy day stories tend to be more sentimental and romantic and maybe nostalgic. Date night pregame stories are like really energetic and fun and like end on a really upbeat note and get you excited to, you know, go see your partner or go on that first date. Hot and heavy are like the most erotic stuff we have. Like the majority of those stories are going to be sex scenes, even though there's always a narrative context. There's always some story and you like understand why chemistry is happening between characters. It's like a 15 minute story is probably going to be at least seven or eight minutes of sex. So we try and help people, you know, meet them where they are. Like, what are you looking for? How directly are you looking for it? Or are you just exploring to find something that might pique your interest? And I'm sure as a founder, you're collecting data all the time. So I'm kind of curious that what is what is the trend that you're noticing as far as the duration of the time that people are listening to the audios the most and the content, at least based on the clientele that you serve? So all of our stories are short format. The shortest stories we have are around five minutes and the longest are around 20. And we do have people asking for more story, which which is more time allows for more storytelling. And so it's really exciting for us to be able to serialize, to basically take one story. It's still like a short format. You can fit it into, you know, a moment in between, right? Mm -hmm. But then you can then choose to listen to the next one immediately after or the next week if you want to. And so serializing is really awesome for us. And we're seeing those stories perform really, really well. Yeah, I can imagine if that's something that you can develop a relationship with versus a short story, which I can see that they have, they can have different purposes. But I, I think definitely I can see if there's an ongoing story that that can be more interesting for yes. the listeners and many women. So tell us a little bit about your app and what are some of the exciting things that you do that you want our clients to know about? So Dipsy is a female-founded company. I started it with my co-founder, Faye. We focus on sexual wellness, and we are the first audio platform for sexual well-being. And what that essentially means, what we started with, is we have an 
uh, an app in the App Store. So we're iOS only right now, but excited to expand to Android. And we make short, sexy audio stories. So we are kind of a one-stop, go-to destination. We try and make it feel very premium and elevated. You're not kind of shy to have this app living on the front screen of your iPhone and really cater to what women want. And that means inclusivity, that means diversity, that means being really thoughtful around psychological safety and consent. So ideally, every piece of content that you find in Dipsy, even if it's not perfectly right for you or the best turn on for you, is a really elevated piece of content. And by the way, that's D-I-P-S-E-A, Dipsy. And I leave a link uh, in the show notes, but I'm so also curious about the funding process. I have lots of friends that they had startups and either they were successful or they sold the startup or they kind of had to close the doors. I know that funding is, is a kind of a challenging part. How was that process with this product? Yeah, it's a great question. So when we were launching our fundraising process, we were met with mixed reviews, as you can imagine. There were some people who said, you know, this just is not a venture backable business, so I wouldn't recommend continuing. <laughs> and there were other people who were like, wow, this is such a novel idea. And very rarely am I, am I corded with an idea that is sitting in such untapped white space. And you said something earlier that I thought was really interesting, which is that your clients don't necessarily engage with erotica because culturally the younger generations just don't see it as right for them or made for them. And, you know, venture capitalists see that opportunity. While romance novels really drive the publish industry, publishing industry, they're, you know, a billion dollar plus a year industry, they aren't really tapping into a younger market. It really hasn't been made into a kind of quick bite digital format. People are really excited about audio right now. Podcasting is exploding. So I think we tapped into a couple of themes that people were excited about. So sure, we received plenty of no's. Anyone who goes through the fundraising <laughs> right. process develops a thick skin. It's actually a very good process for me. My thin, my thin skin became thicker, that's for sure. And ultimately, I think it's almost a helpful thing to have a product with such a clear mission because you're guaranteed to find people who are excited about what you're doing. You know, it. it's not challenging to see when people are really on board with it and really behind it and really proud of it. And if they're not, they're not the right partner for you. So in some ways, it was kind of a helpfully self-selecting process. And I think that's fantastic that you guys offer that. For um, So part of my sex therapy training, I was working with a supervisor. She's a sex therapist. She's in mid-80s or I would say early 80s. And she's very well known in the field. And I was telling her about one of my clients and stuff. And we still talk and I collaborate with her. And she was like consult with her. And she was telling me about kind of erotica, but how no one is reading erotica. And I was telling her about like, you know, actually you guys are offering this. And she was so excited. I was like, oh, this is fantastic. And she's been in the field, I don't know, since like late 70s. So I think if she could see the benefit of it, I think it's something that's definitely valuable because it's it there is a need for it yeah that's so awesome and I'm really excited to start working with more practitioners people who are really talking to women every day and are really on the ground knowing what the challenges are and then can say like if this is kind of if your challenges are fitting into the certain set why don't you just try dipsy it may not be the perfect solution for you but it may really help to make this idea of this inner sexual power not feel like it's locked behind this heavy iron door. And that's actually really interesting also for people who are coming up from a really traumatic experience or a traumatic time in their lives and saying, not only do I want to just reckon with being a whole person again, I want to then experience pleasure. Like I want to get to that next step. And maybe Dipsy can be helpful as part of that process. 
Excellent. Thank you, Gina, for sharing your experiences and your also your wonderful product. And I leave a link in the show notes to the app and also to the website. And so it was lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. You as well. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Gina. I was excited to check out the app. She sent me a code to try it for free, which I'm very grateful. And so far, I, I love the kind of design of it. It's very female friendly. I listened to one story, but I also wanted to encourage you guys to make the commitment. If you're struggling with low sexual desire, or even if you feel like your desire used to be more and you want to change things around, it's really important. It's like a seed that you're planting that you need to water it to make commitment that you would do something every day about it. Could be like, I don't know, five minutes of erotic meditation. Could be like doing sensual massage for yourself five minutes. Or it could be like listening to a erotic audio or reading erotic. There are so many things that you can do, like take a sexy picture of yourself. You don't need to send it to anyone or you can just send it to your best friend. But the act of shifting your attention to your sexual energy is really important long-term to uh, have it, getting access to this wealth of uh, sexual energy that we all have inside us. Before wrapping up the outro, I wanted to express my gratitude for a few of our listeners that wrote us uh, reviews this week. Uh, Hamoon Z from United States wrote, thank you so much. I know English just a little. Would you keep moving forward in a Farsi too? So I, guys, I used to have a Farsi podcast, which I loved, but the challenge with the Farsi episodes was that I, I don't know how to edit and I don't have a Farsi editor. So if you guys know someone that was good at editing Farsi, I'm all for it. Meh wrote from United States, wrote great podcast. I've listened to this podcast for a couple of months. It's incredibly educational for me. Having such podcasts like this helps the society to be more aware about sex and how to deal with sex issue. Thank you, Nazanin. Thank you so much for tuning in, Meh. And the last one is a wonderful, knowledgeable, engaging sex therapist is the title. And Halloween Queen 99 from Canada wrote it, wrote it. And here she wrote, love this podcast and look forward to each new episode. Thank you so much for listening. Again, I love you guys. This is a podcast for you. So if you have a moment, I would really appreciate it if you take a moment and write a review for us. Anyhow, I love you guys and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.